All right. Um, we thank God we are picking back up in, uh, in our text. Um, we um, have been in the book of First Samuel uh, chapter 17. We've been looking at verses 32 through 37. We have really actually um, yet to really jump into that scripture set. We've pretty much been um, uh, backing our way into this by way of um, dealing with a lot of the scriptures or the issues that um, support and build a foundation. So things that precede this is what we've been talking about. We're getting close. We're inching closer, making prod progress. And I, 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 we will get into all that. I believe, Lord willing, we will um, even get um, into some of that uh, today, finally into our scripture set. The word of God says this, 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 37. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth and he, a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. Praise God. We Last week, we talked about um, um, a great uh, many things. Um, we got to the part um, where we talked about David's return home. We said that David was still was in the employ of Saul. So he's working for Saul. Now, the spirit of the Lord, the anointing of God has already departed Saul. Okay. So that that's already transpired. And David now has the anointing of the Lord. Now, Saul doesn't realize that. Saul doesn't know that. Um, but that is nevertheless what has happened. David now has been anointed. He will be one day the next king. But as it stands now, David is not king. David is in the employ of his, uh, he is in the employ of this current sitting king who was Saul at this time. Amen. Amen. But we learned that when this battle uh, came about um, and Saul and the children of Israel, the, the, the military, they went to fight um, um, the, the Philistines. We learned that, that, that eventually David went home. Okay. David went home to feed his father's sheep. Amen. And this is where we left, where we left off last week. David went home to feed the, his father's sheep. Okay. He was already in the employ of Saul, but he returned home to take care of his father's sheep. And when David got home, his father made a request. This is what we talked about. He made a request of David. And what he requested of David, what he requested of David was to was that he would go, was that he would go and he would um, take, he would take a look and check on his brothers. This is what David was assigned to do, or at least this is what his father had requested of him to do. He wanted him to, um, to go and he wanted him to just take a look. I want you to see how, how they're doing. I want you to see how they're faring. And this is what we talked about on this is what we talked about on last week. We talked about how that how they how David had instructions, even though David was in the employ of his father, excuse me, of, of Saul, even though he was in the employ of Saul, 
he still went home to take and check on and take care of his father's business. Now, what was his father's business? He had to take care of the sheep. Amen. And one of the things that we talked about and that we learned about, amen, is, is that while he was still working for Dave, while he was still working for Saul, the call to take care of the sheep was not one that David neglected. Amen. God loves his people. Okay. And we learned that God's intention towards his people is to feed his people. Look at Ezekiel 34, 15 through 16. I will feed my flock. This is God talking. I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken, amen, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Now, that's what we learned as far as what God's intention was. Amen. That's God's, and God has an intention to feed his flock. But we learned that there was a lesson in David going home to feed his flock, because not only does God have intention to feed his flock, but God's desire is, is that we also participate in the feeding of the flock. Look at Luke twenty-two thirty-two. We looked at this last week. We're going to look at it again really quickly. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So the Lord's talking to, 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 to Peter and he's letting him know. Remember, we talked about last week how Peter had had um, um, had made this grand declaration. You know, Lord, I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to do all of these other sort of things. Everybody else might leave and and get out of get out of town. But God, I'm going to stay with you, Lord. I'm going to be with you to the bitter end. Well, that's exactly what did not happen, um, at least when. Peter thought it was going to happen when when the going got tough whoa the tough sure enough got going Peter ran out just like everybody else all of the other disciples had run out on him but nevertheless we see in Luke twenty two thirty two, the Lord prayed for for Peter he prayed for him okay in advance glory to God he already knew what was coming up he knew it was going to happen but yet and still, he prayed in advance for what? Peter's restor restoration. Amen. And literally, and in this prayer, he, he literally foretold his restoration. Amen. See, God knows, God knows the end from the very beginning. And the scripture tells us that. Look at the language of that. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Amen. And then he says, and when thou art converted. Meaning that there was going to be a point where, where he was going to drop the ball. There was going to be a point where Peter messed up. He knew that Peter was going to suffer shipwreck. He knew that he was going to become stranded. But he knew, and he, he knew all that. He, and he knew that it was going to weigh heavy on him. He knew that. But he also knew that Peter was coming back. You know why? Because he knew that heart. See, God always searches the heart, family. God knows the heart. This is why you can't get away with anything. It's why I can't get away with anything, because there is no time where my heart is not before God. There's no there's no time, not one. God is always aware of what is going on in your heart and in my heart. Look at John 21, 17, picks up the narrative. Now, Peter had already dropped the ball, right? He, he had already betrayed the Lord three times. And when we get to John and chapter uh, um, to the gospel of John chapter 21. And we look at verse 17. We look at the aftermath or we look at, we look at the restoration. This is the third time that Jesus, um, um, restores, um, or the third time that Jesus put de declares to Peter to feed his sheep. He says, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me. Amen. Note, look at what, look at that. Lovest thou me. Peter was grieved because he said to him unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my 
sheep. Family, let me talk to you for just a moment here about, about this. I want to bring a, something else that we just didn't quite get out. Now, we already know it is God. It's clear from this. God's intention is for us to participate in the feeding of his sheep. What does that mean? That means we should be feeding. We should be looking after our brother and our sister. Amen. Making sure that they are fed. What does that mean? It means making sure that they're taken care of, that they are given the word of God, right? That we demonstrate. How do we do that? By demonstrating in, in, the, in, the, in the area of living out and walking out in obedience what the scripture tells us to do in addition to sharing and speaking the word of God. So we feed one another by demonstrating a walk before God. That way people get a living, a practical living example, okay, of what scripture is telling us to do, amen, because sometimes, guess what, a picture is worth more than a thousand words, so we are commanded to live it out, we're commanded to walk the scriptures out, you are, you are not allowed to just have the word and sit on it, you're not, I am not, you and I must be obedient, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Amen. This means that it is God's desire that we live out. When you live out the scriptures before this world, okay? And in fact, let me dial it back. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the world for really for just a moment. But when you live out the scriptures in front of be in in the view of the church, okay? You who are part of the church, when you live out and walk out the scriptures in the view, in, eyes, in eyesight of fellow members of the church, you are strengthening your brother and your sister's walk because they get a living example and proof that if you can do it, they can do it also. See, Every, every moment of your life, you don't know, I don't know, but at any moment, any area of your life, in any area of my life, can serve as a testimony and a representation of what God can do. See, the very thing that I'm walking in, the very thing that you are walking in according to the scripture, when you're obeying the word and you're walking out those steps, that very thing that you are walking out, do you not know that in the eyesight of your fellow brother or sister, that thing that you are presently succeeding in by the grace of God and through his word may actually be the very thing they are struggling in and feeling like, man, how am I overcome this? How am I going to get through this. Well, it's important that you continue to walk in obedience to the scripture because you're overcoming, you're walking the scripture before and in the presence of your brother and sister serves as a encouragement, one of the strongest encouragements to be had to your brother and sister who may be struggling in that area. You might not be struggling anymore. Or you might just be on, you know what I'm saying, have finally gotten to a point where you are able to, to, to get that area right. It doesn't matter which one it is. Nevertheless, there is somebody who is presently struggling at the moment you are not. So when you walk that out, it gives them hope, family, that they too can walk it out. It gives them encouragement, inspires them to keep moving and to keep pressing. Well, God wants you to do that, okay? God wants me to do that. Amen. Because it's helpful. Not only is my walk important, but my talk also. My communication's got to line up. I can't go around talking in foolishness. You can't go around talking in silly things. You can't go around being uh, be just uh, being just totally ridiculous in your conversation, talking about things that you ought not, engaging in conversations that are wicked and despicable and are ashamed before God. You and I can't go around doing that and we should not be doing that. No, our conversation needs to be holy and it's got to be wholesome. Amen. So the combination of my words and that coupled with my walk of obedience to the word are powerful testimonies, powerful motivators, powerful um, factors of encouragement that help our brothers and sisters. Now, but when Jesus said, he said unto him the third time, Simon, 
son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Notice what happened here. He called out Simon, but he also called out son of Jonas. In other words, what he did was, was that he called out his lineage so to speak, okay? He called out who he was. He, he went back when he said son of Jonas, okay? Simon, son of Jonas. He didn't just call Peter. He didn't just call, he didn't, he didn't, just, he didn't just speak to Peter. But when he said son of Jonas, what he was really doing was saying, it was really declaring, Peter, I know who you are. I know where you come from. I know what's in you. Peter had dropped the ball three times. And he <laughs> no doubt was devastated. He didn't think he was going to do that. He didn't, he didn't plan to do that. Peter didn't plan to fail, at least not in his intention. He wasn't doing that. Peter wanted to succeed. And he meant what he said. He meant that he was going to go all the way to the wall with the Lord. But when things happen, all of a sudden, that flesh got in the way. Same thing that happens to me and you today. That flesh got in the way. And before you knew it, guess what? Peter you know what I'm saying? Although with, with all of the fervor he could muster and all of the truthfulness and all of the sincerity, all of it went awry in a moment. Everything fell apart in a moment. But when the Lord restores him, he says, Peter, he says unto him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He designated, when he said that family, that's very powerful because when he said that and called that part out, that meant that he was asking that when he was asking Peter, did he love him? Or when he was in the process of reinstating Peter, because that's what really he was doing. What he was saying, what he was saying is that, yes, I'm re I know who you are. And I know what you come from. And I ap am absolutely talking to you. I absolutely intend to reinstate you in spite of your pedigree, in spite of where you come from, in spite of all of these different things. And I want to tell you something, family, that God is calling you to righteousness. God is calling you to holiness. You might feel that you cannot do it. You might feel that because of your parentage, maybe because of your lineage, maybe because of your history, maybe because of your track record and all of these different things, you might feel that God could not possibly be calling you. He couldn't possibly be willing to forgive me. He couldn't possibly be willing to give me a second chance. Doesn't he know what I've done? Doesn't he know where I've been? Doesn't he know what I put my hand to? Is it really me that he's talking to? Talking to? Is it really me that he's gonna give a second chance? My friend, it is really you. It is absolutely you. He said, Simon, son of Jonas. That means he called Simon in spite of and in light of who Simon, who Peter was and where Peter came from. Yeah, I'm talking to you. The one who has this in on their record. The one who has this strike against them. The one who has this mar against them. The one who has all of these points of failure and you have a list that is long as the day of all the things that you have gotten wrong and the Lord says I went to a cross for you I rose from the grave three days later for you I have opened the door to salvation for you in spite of you I know you don't deserve it but I still open that door for you. And that's a very encouraging thing to know. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. So the Lord wants us to partner in the process of feeding and taking care of 
are brothers and sisters. So David was to both bring them, them his brother's provisions, right? And he was to confirm that they were okay. Look at 1 Samuel 17, and I want you to look at verse 17, and I want you to look at verse 18. The Bible says this, and Jesse said unto David, his son, take now thy brethren and Epheth of this parched corn and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousands and look now and, and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge amen so he's sent there to take to pro take provisions to his brothers also to the captain those who are over him right Amen. And then he was also to take a pledge. He wants them to see how they are, to see how they're doing and how they're faring and see if they're okay. And we'll get into, and we'll, and we will dig into that a little bit deeper, a little bit later, hopefully in this one. Now, in those times, I told you guys last week that in those times, campaigns, these military skirmishes, they, they didn't last that long. Okay. Um, they seldom lasted above a few days at a time. Okay. The soldiers were volunteers for the most part, or they were, or militia who, and, and because of this, they were in those times and especially due to the short duration of the, of the fighting. Okay. That would normally take place during these times. They were supplied by or with provisions that came from the home front. Okay. It was the home and it was friends um, of the family that would bring them. They'd run that stuff over. Now, David is at home, right? And he's taking care of the father's sheep. But in the midst of that, he's told to go take this food over to the uh, to his brothers and to the captain. And he's told to take a pledge of his brothers to see how they fare. That was not an uncommon thing to happen during that time. And, 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 and the point of this that I want to make, and I brought this out a little bit last week, but I, but I feel the spirit of the Lord really wanting us to hit this a little bit harder, is, is that we are our brother's keeper. We are. Look at Genesis 4, 9. This is King. This is the Lord talking. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Family, you are absolutely your brother's keeper. I am absolutely my brother's keeper. David was sent to go check on his brethren. Because he is, or he was, also, in addition to being in the employ of Saul, in addition to being the next king, in addition to being a, an anointed musician and an anointed king to be, in addition to all of those things, he was also his brother's keeper. That wasn't an out of the ordinary quest, request from Jesse to tell David, go check on your brothers. Because it still remained, whether it's said audibly, whether someone comes around and tells you or not. That was David's family. Those were some of David's brothers. And whether, and whether Jesse told him to go check on or not, it would always have been David's responsibility to see how his brother, his brothers were faring. And so it is with you and I. We are a family. We are the family of God. And it, whether we are told every single day or not, to go and check on our brothers and our sisters, 
you don't need somebody to always tell you to do that in order for that to become your responsibility. You have been divinely given that responsibility. You were born with that responsibility. Just as when I am physically born, I am born into a family that consists of brothers and sisters or whatever, it, however many there are. In the course of physical birth, when I am born into the family, I am born with the responsibility of stewardship over my brothers and sisters. I was born with the responsibility to make sure they're okay or to see how they are faring. The same is true when you are spiritually born again. You are born into the family of God. And when you are born, you are born into a family that already consists of brothers and sisters that were here before you got here. And you were born with the responsibility to see how they fare. The Lord asked Cain, where is Abel thy brother? He didn't ask just anybody. He didn't ask somebody who had no relation to Abel. But he said, where is Abel thy brother? It was a legitimate question. Why? Because they were family. And family is the responsibility of family. You got to remember that. You got to know that. You got to know that. You have got to know that. Hatred. Unforgiveness. And the lack of compassion is going to send more people to hell. Perhaps than anything else. I know a lot of people don't realize that. Hatred. Seething anger and malice. The unwillingness to forgive. The refusal to show compassion. These things alone are going to keep a whole lot of folks out of heaven. Oh, yes, it will. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. I feel the spirit leading us to talk about this. So we're going to segue into this and we're going to go as far as we can. Some of us who will be hearing this message, you think that you're going to heaven, but I'm here to tell you, you are not. You are not on your way to heaven. Not at all. No, you have not gone and done some of the more obvious and heinous types of things that you can think about that would fall under the category of sin and unrighteousness. But you got that root of bitterness, that hatred. You got that mindset of unforgiveness, that refusal to show compassion. You got that riding in the background that's in, it's in your heart and it's in your mind and you're operating in that. And many of you are doing so because you feel as though you have a right. And I will concede that you have been legitimately done wrong. You have been legitimately double-crossed run over and taken advantage of. It has happened. And by the world standards, you have a case. 
I'll give you that. By the world standards, you absolutely have a case. You got a reason to be upset. Do you hear what I'm saying? You got a, you got a reason. But let me tell you where, let me show you where most people with this tend to spin out of control. They think that the reason to be upset, to be angry, to be all of these things, unwilling to forgive. They think that the reason to be these things is the same reason to stay <laughs> in those things. Uh, that's two different things. You might have a reason to be mad. You might have a justifiable reason to be upset. But you don't have a justifiable reason to stay mad, to stay upset, to stay compassionless, to stay in a state of unforgiveness. There is none. And many people assume that the right to be mad is the same right to stay mad. No, it's not. When you take the right to be mad and turn it into the right to stay mad, you are taking liberties that are not yours. Mm, no, that's not yours to take. Listen, this is why you're not going to go to heaven if you stay in that way. People are going to do you wrong. This is going to happen. Turn to Matthew 18, and I want you to look at verse 7. Matthew 18 says this. Jesus is talking, so God Almighty is talking here. He says, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to them, to that man by whom the offenses come. All right, now, now, Jesus says, woe unto the world because of offenses. So what he's doing here, he's saying, hold up. You, why, why he's saying, watch out. You, it's, it's not okay when the Bible, when God says, woe, the woe simply means, it means horror. It means the horror of it. It means, wait a minute. It means you need to, you need to be terrified of this. You need, you know, you need to, you need to change your mind about this. You need to think again. When the Bible says, whoa, God is saying, you, you better, you, God is saying, you better check yourself. You better cease and desist. When the Bible says, whoa, he's saying, don't go no further. Don't do nothing else. Don't go nowhere else. When he says, whoa. So he starts out with woe unto the world because of offenses. So right there, what he's telling you, he's telling you the whole planet is in trouble because of offenses. That's what he's saying. He said, you don't, you, oh, hold on, wait a minute. You all, everybody, the whole world. So this, when he says to the world, you need to understand something. This truth don't just apply to the church. It applies to everybody. Amen. God is not cool with offenses. So you need to know that. All right. This is what Jesus is establishing. This is why he starts out. He says, woe unto the world because of offenses. Okay. Now he eventually is going to drill down further. Um, you know, he, gonna he drills down further, and we see this throughout Scripture. But he says, woe to the world because of offenses. Now he says, for it must needs be that offenses come. So he says, woe, this is a dangerous thing. You don't want to be a part of it. But then he acknowledges that yet and still they will come. That's what he's saying, okay? For it must needs be that offenses come. So what he is doing is, is that he's saying, hold on. You need to think again about offenses. It's not okay. God says, I'm not okay. Nevertheless, though I'm not okay, I still know that offenses are going to come. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus was preparing you and he was preparing me for the eventuality that there would be offenses. In other words, he didn't want you to be surprised when people do stuff that cross you. That's really what he's doing here. That's what he's doing. He don't want you to, he don't want it to take you by surprise. So what the Lord was doing was preparing us for the eventuality or the event that offenses would take place. They would come. But then he says something interesting. Look at that last portion. He says, but woe again, there's woe again to that man by whom 
the offenses coming. Now, the Lord says, I'm not okay with offenses. I don't like them. I don't want it to be. Yet I acknowledge that they are going to come. And so I'm telling you now, offenses are going to come. People are going to make you mad. They're going to give you reasons to be upset. You are, and listen, justifiable reasons to be upset. Not justifiable reasons to stay upset, but justifiable reasons to initially be upset, okay? He, Jesus is acknowledging that. But then he takes it a, next, a, a step further. He says, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. So what he's saying is, is that yes, offenses are, I'm not okay with offenses, but yes, offenses are going to come. And he says, but you need to understand something. You're not going to get away with it. He says, I'm not okay with it. I acknowledge that they're coming. But to you who engage in that, and when we talk about that, we're talking about purposely trying to offend, purposely trying to do things to hurt one another, operating in maliciousness, operating in hatred, trying to cause wounds, all of these different things. Husbands and wives better hear this very clear. Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, everybody better hear this clear. Those who are out of anger, operating and doing things for the purpose of getting back and getting even. God is saying, hold on, you, you guess what? He says, now nah, I don't like offenses and I know that offenses are going to come. But just because I know that offenses are going to come, don't get it twisted and think that you're going to get away with it because you're not. You're not going to get away with it. This is the first thing that he wants us to understand. So he, 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 he understands, he wants you to understand that. When somebody offends you and you are offended, that does not mean, many times we want to stay right there. We want to stay in the heart of anger and bitterness and all this kind of stuff. You know why? Because we think that the person's going to get away with it. But what Jesus was doing was establishing you for you and I, giving you reasons why you are free to move on, to not stay in, in bitterness, to not stay in the spirit of unforgiveness. He was actually trying to show you why you are free to move on. Because when he said, but woe to that man by whom the offense is coming, do you know what he was saying? He was saying, to you, to that person, you are not going to get away with just running over somebody and doing somebody wrong on purpose. Now, I want you to understand, notice that he went, that if you go all the way back up, he said, woe unto the world. Uh-oh. <laughs> In this case, that got everybody. That ain't just the, that ain't just the world world as we as we as Christians tend to think about it. That's everybody. That's you too. That's me too. When he talking about world here, he talking about the whole planet and everybody on the planet. Those that, that those that belong to him by way of regeneration and those that don't. What does that mean? Those who are part of the church and those who are not part of the church. He says, "Whoa." And this is, a blank, this is a blanket warning to everybody who operates in the area of offense. God says you're not going to get away with it. See, when we get offended, we want to stay mad. We think that we justified in staying that way. Why? Because if we let it go, the person is going to get away with it. We feel like they're going to get away. They're going to get by. Uh-uh. Family, it don't work that way. Deuteronomy 32, 35, turn to that in your Bibles, says this to, this is God, this is the Lord talking. He says, to me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. Oh, do you hear that? <laughs> do you hear that? For the day of their calamity is at hand and the things that shall come upon them make, and the things that shall come upon them make haste, meaning that it's going to come quickly. Uh, let me let me give you that first part again. He said, to me belongs vengeance and recompense. Their foot 
shall slide in due time. This is God talking. In other words, God is saying, you're not going to get away with it. You're not going to get away with it. Romans 12, 19 says this, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Notice what he said, give place to wrath. He says, avenge not yourselves. And many of us are in danger of hellfire because we were simply, we have been done wrong, but we refuse to let God handle it. Listen, you don't have to be going out and doing all the stuff that is, that seems blatantly wrong in order to go to hell. You can go to hell by just doing the things that are almost virtually undetectable. And many times hatred and malice and unforgiveness and a lack of compassion are those things that lie underneath the surface that often go undetected by everybody else. You got everybody fooled. You feel secure thinking that you're doing all, that, that, that you okay. You, why? Because you justified. They did you wrong after all. And so you won't get back. You're going to punish them for a lifetime and even longer if you could. You're going to take matters into your own hand. You got it all decided. You got it all figured out how you're going to deal with it. Some of us have grievances with mothers and fathers because of things that have happened. And your anger and your bitterness is uh, towards them or your frustration, let me say, the initial manifestation of it is legit. You have, you got cause. You were done wrong. You were treated wrong. Somebody did something to you that they should not have. And you have a right to be upset about it. You have a right to be mad about it. But the word of God tells us to be angry and sin not. You have the right to be mad about it, but you are never given the right to stay mad about it. Because angerness and bitterness sabotage your ability to follow the word of God. What are you saying? To worship God the way he want to be worshipped, to follow God the way he wants to be followed, you've got to do it from a heart that is right. But when angerness and bitterness and frustration and malice is allowed to fester in your heart, it corrupts the platform of your heart. So now the things that you try to do are not accepted by God. Why? Because they have been exported from a dock that God refuses to accept imports from. He don't want it. The Bible teaches us that it is out of the heart that flows the issues of life. That's what you export. What you export, in order to be blessed, God's got to import. God got to accept what you give. When anger and bitterness and frustration are allowed to fester, God closes his borders to anything that is exported from your dock. You don't want none of it. You don't want it. You don't want it. Not at all. Why is that? Why is that? 
The reason why he don't do it is because you are attempting to offer to God an offering with blood on your hands. You are offering to God the offering of a murderer. Oh, you don't believe that? Oh, let's see what the word of God has to say. Turn to Matthew. Let's start at chapter five. Let's look at 21. We're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with this. See, hatred and malice toward one another in God's eyes is equal to murder. Matthew 5, 21, starting there, going to verse 24. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry, look at Jesus bringing it down. Jesus saying, now you heard in the old time, this is what it was, that if you, that, 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 that if you killed, you wasn't going to be able to escape the punishment or the judgment of the court. That's what he's talking about. He said, you ain't, you wasn't going to be able to get away with it. Okay. If you, if you were, you, if you committed murder, you wasn't going to be able to get away with it. And he said, but now look at what he does. He elevates it to the spiritual level. He says, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry. Now, when you talk about angry here, that's talking about malice. That's talking about hatred. That ain't just being mad. That's, that's next level mad is what he's talking about. Glory to God. So whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, amen, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say unto his brother, Rika or Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, let me break that down for you. Let me break that down for you. Now, when he says, whosoever shall be angry with his brother without a cause shall be in, in danger. Now, he's not talking about that you don't have a justifiable reason. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, oh, if you have a justifiable reason, you somehow excuse. That's not what he's talking about there. That's not what that means when he talks about without a, without a cause. What he's talking about here altogether, this whole thing is taken together. What he's talking about, whosoever is angry with hatred and malice, and is and continues to operate in that. That's what he's talking about. When you continue to operate from the platform of hatred and malice, he says he shall be in danger of the judgment. So just as if you were to physically commit murder, you would be you you wouldn't be able to escape the court. What he's telling you is is that if you operate in if you operate in hatred and malice, you're not going to be able to escape the spiritual court. Do you hear what I'm telling you? I hope, I hope you hear it. He it did now. Now he goes back to the natural and he says, whosoever shall say unto his brother, Rekha shall be in danger of the council. Now, what is he talking about? The council here is the council of the Sanhedrin council. Okay. That is the, I uh, believe about the 72, 70 elders or uh, 72 elders or whatnot that comprise of the Sanhedrin council or the Jewish council. So he's saying, whoever shall says to, of his brother, Rekha. Now you understand Rekha was like a derogatory word. Okay, and it was the equivalent of calling it was the equivalent of calling somebody an empty headed fool. That's what it meant. And back in those days, that was strong, strong language. That was strong language. And in those days, if you had been caught saying that, you know, the Sanhedrin Council, you they, they had a case against you. You can get in trouble for that. You could get in trouble for that. Now, now, when we think about that in, in these days. <laughs> they could get in trouble just for saying that. Think about how much stuff we say nowadays. Now, you know, if you can get in trouble just for that, the words that we use nowadays are so much worse. You know you're in trouble. You don't even need to imagine that you're not. You already know that you're in trouble. So he says, just as the person who would say that would be in danger of the council, okay, the Sanhedrin council, this is a natural council, a physical council. He says, but whosoever shall say thou fool, And what he's saying here is, that don't mean just fool. Now, the Bible teaches that a fool is one who has said in their heart, there is no God. 
But this is basically what he's saying is you have cursed this person. And you are looking at them and you are declaring them to be a worthless fool. You're worth, you, you don't mean anything. He says to this person, you shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, uh-oh, this is for the person that want to be mad and stay mad, but then you want to go to church and you want to clap, shout, and dance, and you want to give your offering and all that kind of stuff, thinking that God's going to hook you up, thinking it's going to be, no, it's not, it's, it's not even going to go down that way. It's not even about to go that way. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, talking about your brother is offended, because of what you because of what you've done, and this goes both ways, all the way around. He says, "Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first. Be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift." God is saying, "I don't want what you have until you get that right. Don't even come bringing it." And it's a whole lot of people thinking that you can hold on to anger and bitterness and 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 unforgiveness and all of these different things. And you can serve God at the same time. It's not possible. My friend, it is not possible. You can go to church all day long and you can go through all the language of religion. You can cross all the T's and you can dot all the I's. You can go through all the motions and do all of the things. You can even do all the stuff that's outlined in the Bible except that one thing, but, and, and you can do all that stuff all the while holding on, incubating and nursing, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Do you not know that you're going to cancel out everything else on the strength of hatred and bitterness alone? The right to be mad is not the right to stay mad. God only gives the right to be mad. He does not give the right to stay mad. He doesn't. He does, he, he does not give that. And the longer that you walk in that, it don't matter. Look, you got the, it don't, listen, you can have the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. You walk in hatred and unforgiveness and watch where you end up. You're not going to heaven. And you're not going to have God's blessings upon you. You got to let that go. Look at Hebrews 10.30. For we know him that hath said vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. See, when, although you may have a right to be upset and to be mad, you got to stop holding on to the bitterness. You got to stop holding on to all of this stuff because you think if as soon as you let it go, that that person is going to somehow get away with it. I just read you the scriptures, Deuteronomy 32 and 35, Romans 12 and 19, Hebrews 10 and 30, and not, and not just that, but Matthew 18 and 7, where the Lord himself literally tells you, says, but woe to that man that by whom the offense is coming. Listen, you are free to let go of the hurt, of the anger, of the bitterness, of the unforgiveness, and you need not worry about a person getting away with it. You've got promises from on high that they are not going to get away with it. But that revenge, that anger, you take in hold of a liberty that only belongs to God. It don't belong to you. It does not belong to you. 
Look at First John three fifteen. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. What's that mean? It means you're not going to heaven. He's telling you right now. It, 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 listen, Ezekiel made it very plain. A righteous man can turn from his righteousness. So it don't matter if you got the Holy Ghost and speaking, it don't matter. It don't matter that you don't walked out the process of salvation according to the Bible, Acts 2.38. It don't, that don't matter. Hatred and unforgiveness gonna cancel all that. All of it. There are many people who think that you cannot lose your salvation. They better think again because the Bible surely does not teach that. The Bible is very plain that you can turn from your righteousness. And there are a lot of people who do not realize that because of angerness, anger and bitterness and frustration and unforgiveness, all the while you are a Christian, you do not realize that you are slowly turning away from your righteousness. There's an old song that and the lyric in there would say, none but the righteous shall see God. That's based on scripture. Because without righteousness, no man shall see God. It's not possible. See, when you, the reason why you're not going to make it, the reason why your, the offering for, will never be accepted, when you walk the path of the, of unforgiveness, you are walking the path of the murderer. Why? Because you have killed that person in your heart, meaning that that person may as well be dead. You will not do anything for them. You will not try to help them. You, that person, you don't listen. That person has become dead to you. Do you not know that Cain committed a double homicide? He had killed his brother long before. He did it with his bare hands. You better read the record. He was angry. That type of anger, that's not a regular anger. That's hatred. When his brother's sacrifice, what offering was accepted and his was not, the Lord tried to help him. He said, Cain, why are you upset? Why is your confidence falling? If you had done well and done the right thing, you would have been accepted too. Your stuff would have been accepted too. He said, but sin lieth at the door. But you shall, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, he's, it's lying at the door. He's lying in wait. Sin is lying in wait. But you shall rule over it. Cain, you got to change your mind. Why did the Lord tell him that prior to all this? Because Cain was in the process of committing murder. And when he had done the act mentally, he had opened the door for him to act it out physically. And some of us think that because somebody has legitimately done us wrong, that we can hold on to that forever and a day. But I'm telling you right now, you better watch out because you're in the process of committing homicide. And the Bible tells you that no murderer shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Every time, you go around and you hold on to something, looking for opportunities and reasons to be to operate in hate. You're committing homicide, spiritual homicide. That's what you're doing. This is and this is why he don't accept an offering from your hands. Why? Because you got blood on your hands. You got to get it washed off. You got to repent. You got to let God soften your heart. 
Be angry, but sin not. Don't let unforgiveness, don't let anger, don't let hatred be your undoing. You are your brother's keeper. God bless you. I'm going to stop the recording here. Wow.